Hello, welcome back to the Classical Music Pod. We've missed you, Podcats. In this episode, Sam asks the founder and conductor of the 16, Harry Christophers, if he lives in a castle. We reveal the only piece of classical music that is unperformable during lockdown. And we discover which naughty superstar is to become a hospital DJ. Miss Speaker. The triumphant Star Wars saga began life at Elstree Studios in my constituency, which continues to produce hits such as The King's Speech and Suffragette. Well, the Honourable Gentleman is banging on very eloquently about Star Wars, and I want to hear it. That was the voice of Culture Secretary and Cummings apologist Oliver Dowden. This week, he has announced the formation of a cultural renewal task force with the aim of identifying creative ways to get the recreation and leisure sectors up and running again. The task force was swiftly lambasted by Richard Morrison in The Times for being set up 64 days after every cultural venue in Britain shut its doors and for not including anyone from the UK music industry. Yep, he writes... Oddly enough, the arts world doesn't need to be coached in the art of being imaginative, even by the boss of Winter Wonderland, which is completely true and quite funny. But for the sake of balance, there are a couple of things to consider here. Firstly, the director of the Association of British Orchestras, Mark Pemberton, who I spoke to on Friday, is actually on a a separate DCMS task force called the Entertainment and Events Working Group, which includes loads of different people from the music, theatre and dance performing industries. And they've got their first meeting this week. Also, Dowden's Cultural Renewal Task Force includes Tamara Rojo from the English National Ballet, which does have an orchestra. So it's not entirely void of music industry experience. Yeah, but his main point that the sector needs urgent investment is spot on. With social distancing in place, it's impossible for venues such as the Royal Albert Hall, who need 85 to 90% attendance to even turn a profit, it's impossible for them to open their doors. So the only solution is immediate cash. Yep, and it's worth remembering that in the long term, it would be far cheaper to keep the art sector afloat now than to attempt to rebuild it from scratch, which is a point very effectively argued by The Guardian's chief cultural writer, Charlotte Higgins, in a piece that we've linked in the description below. We had a talk with Mr. Harry Miller about the... Oh, no. Don't worry. <laughs> this I'll, is shocking. I'll do it if you like. Yes, no. No, no, you don't have to. Listen. Do, do you not have one of these uh, teleprompters? Unlike with poor Molly Meldrum, no teleprompter was required for Alan Titchmarsh this week, who interviewed His Royal Highness the Prince of Wales on Classic FM. 
Charles threw his weight behind the arts industry, imploring the government to find a way of keeping these orchestras and other arts bodies going. The following night, he presented a show with his own reflections on favourite pieces of classical music. Two points here. It's great to have such an advocate for the arts in the royal family, but the selection of pieces he chose were almost exclusively written by dead white men. It would be great if he used his soft power to peddle the music of our many great living composers instead. Mm, Yes, I agree. We should also add that we contacted Clarence House in February, rather optimistically, (laughs) asking if Charles wanted to come on the pod. Could you read out the response for us quickly, Sam? I am afraid to say that His Royal Highness the Prince of Wales is not doing any interviews at present, and so I will not be able to accommodate your request. I would like to wish you continued success with the podcast, and I am sorry not to be of more help. Yours sincerely, Julian Payne. Yeah, not doing any interviews, are we, Charles? On the topic of dubiously musical royals, the Bolivian Experimental Orchestra of Native Instruments have shared their story of being holed up in the grounds of the German Rheinsberg Palace over lockdown. The moated castle is the former home of Frederick the Great, employer of C.P.E. Bach and the composer of the famous theme from which J.S. Bach wrote his 1747 musical offering. Rheinsberg was the last stop in the orchestra's two-week tour but they failed to get flights back to Bolivia before it closed its borders and have been trapped living in the grounds ever since. Uh, At the time of recording, it was 76 days in total. Poor guys. The group who mixed traditional Andean music with more contemporary genres apparently coped by sticking to a strict practice schedule with three hours before lunch and three hours afterwards. Fun fact, Frederick the Great used to play his flute after dinner to aid digestion. Maybe not as much as a three-hour rehearsal, though. Tim, what kind of beat are we having for Newsbeat this week? I thought we'd go for punk rock. Terrific. Unfortunate rhyming slang and singer-songwriter James Blunt is to host a radio show broadcast to 170 hospitals across the UK. We're told the show will include an array of feel-good tunes and loads of gratitude to those working in the front lines. Despite the delayed opening of his new musical, Cinderella, Andrew Lloyd Webber was once again named the UK's wealthiest musician in the Sunday Times' Rich List last week. With a reported net worth of £800 Lloyd Webber comes in at number 174, just ahead of Sir Paul McCartney. A survey by the cultural consultancy Indigo Limited has found that 41% of participants would not consider booking for a show for at least four months, and a quarter would wait six months or more. After a complaint from neighbours, a pianist in Tomares, southern Spain, has been given a court order to soundproof her apartment or pay an €8,000 fine. Yikes! The Zagreb Philharmonic Orchestra gave a concert yesterday on the Swan Island of the Croatian capital's zoo, ensuring that social distance was maintained from their audience. Vienna's Musikverein has announced its first live concert will take place in June to an audience of 100 people, and Italy's Ravenna Festival is set to open on June the 21st with an open-air concert led by Riccardo Muti in the city's 15th century fortress, Rocca Brancaglione. Amsterdam's Concertgebouw director Simon Reinink has revealed that two-thirds of ticket buyers for cancelled concerts did not ask for their money back, suggesting an appetite to keep the orchestra afloat for as long as possible. Let's look
stop it. It isn't worth it. And actually, you're not very good at it. Sam, I constantly find myself astounded by the ambition of some of these online multi-track performances. I think you're absolutely right. People are putting together phenomenal things. And we're going to hear a little bit of the 16s awesome offering a bit later on in the pod. But everything from choirs to orchestras to thousand-person choruses are all out there being uploaded now. Mm, Yeah, it seems like almost anything is possible. So that set me thinking about what piece is least performable musically during lockdown. Of course, you can't have a staged production, but the musical side of things, that's what we're looking for here. Musical Mission Impossible. Analysis. Right, so what have you come up with as your unperformable piece, Sam? This is by no means an exhaustive or exclusive list, but here's my number one suggestion. Uh, so we're just going to drop a, a clip in there, are we? <laughs> no, no, man, this is it. All I'm hearing is silence. Is that all you're hearing? Try again. Bloody hell, it's John Cage, isn't it? To right. John Cage, the man with the face of a junior baseball coach and a mind that was so polymathematical... We haven't got time to get into all of it, but he was a proper musicologist, artist, instrument inventor, poet, theologian and teacher. We just heard a snippet of his piece, 4 minutes, 33 seconds. So before you tell us why you reckon it's unperformable, perhaps you could expand on the oral tundra we just encountered there. Of course. Written in 1952, a lot of people mistake 433 for a silence. It's absolutely not. Even though it might at first appear to be silence. It's scored for any instruments or combination of instruments, and Cage instructs the performers not to play their instruments for the entire duration of the piece, throughout three movements. And it's not silence. It's not the sound of silence. This is the sound of silence. Nor is it the first time Cage had experimented with performative silence. It had been on his mind for a while. In fact, it's rumoured that the prize-winning speech he gave at the Hollywood Bowl 30 years prior to 4.33, whilst he was still in high school, was about America having a national day of silence. How does a composer experiment with a performative silence then? Well, there have always been silences in music. That crackling frisson before a piece starts, which is actually written down into some scores. The first thing written in Beethoven 5 is the rest before well absolutely or mid-phrase rests and silences can be just as powerful like the bit on a roller coaster where your stomach jumps uh, is just exactly like the opening of Brahms 3 or the magic moment at the end of a piece before the audience claps those shared silences between events were already in the music. Cage started stretching these silences in pieces like Waiting, a piano miniature, which has a short ostinato, then a huge gap of silence, then the ostinato again. Or his duet for two flutes, which opens with 22 bars rest for both players. So 4.33 doesn't exactly come out of nowhere then? Absolutely not, although it seems to take quite a lot of critics by surprise at the time. Because they thought it was just silence, presumably. And it's not. The piece consists of the sounds of the environment that the listeners hear whilst it is performed. 
audience members shuffling, chairs creaking, wind blowing. So that means every performance is different. There's always an element of chance. A wheel of fortune. Hello and welcome back to Oral Environment of Fortune. Our contestant today is young Timothy Fisher. Say hello, Tim. Hello. Before the break, he'd managed to assemble a nice soundscape of one small dog barking, an intermittent pneumatic drill, and a smattering of alpine horns. Let's hear it now. Chance plays a huge part in Cage's composition. That's what he intended. And it's thanks to the I Ching. The I Ching is an ancient Chinese decision-making tool, and that, along with a whole heap of Zen Buddhism, led to Cage diminishing the input of the composer or author, and instead creating happenings, like 433. Happenings? They're called that because they have to be happening. They can't be predictable, can't be scripted or authored, and can't be totally pre-recorded. They have to be happening right there and then, to try and pull people into the present, it has to be a simultaneous sharing of time and space. A mass gathering, you could say. Exactly. 433 was such a game-changer because it questioned the very premise of composition and musicianship. It made audiences question what they were there to do. Is witnessing a performance participating in it? Is the music just the organised sound? For me, 4 minutes 33 is a love letter to live music making, to the energy that is shared by an audience and performers in a space together. It exposes the power of the performative silence and draws us all into that occasionally uncomfortable space of the shared present moment. As clever as Zoom is, and as wonderful as everyone's musical studio wizardry is these days, it can't replace that feeling of actually being there together. 433 is a piece that is totally unperformable in lockdown and helps us realise the value of live music. As much as these fab bedroom recordings are a great way to stay in touch and lift people's spirits, there will inevitably be something missing. I think we all knew that. But 433 is a piece that can remind us that we mustn't let live music disappear. Sharing a present, a happening, between audience and performers is something magic. Something unpredictable. Something uncontrollable. And something we'll need to support at the moment, if we have hopes of it returning in the future. Composer Fact File, John Cage. Bye. Los Angeles, 1912. His mother was a journalist and his father an inventor who pioneered a diesel-fueled submarine. He initially wanted to be a writer, studying theology at college, but dropped out in 1930. During subsequent travels in Europe, he took up painting and poetry and discovered the music of contemporary composers Stravinsky and Hindemith. He began composing himself on his final stop, Mallorca. He sent a 25-tone row composition to Henry Cowell, who suggested he study with Schoenberg in California. Schoenberg taught him for free and said, of course he's not a composer, but he's an inventor of genius. His 1939 Le Majorie Landscape No. 1 was the first ever piece scored for turntables. He hung out with Jackson Pollock, Marcel Duchamp and Peggy Guggenheim. A keen mycologist, or mushroom expert, he co-founded the New York Mycological Society. During the 1950s, he also worked as a typography designer. He experimented with preparing instruments by adding screws and nails to piano strings. During the premiere of his Atlas Equipicatelis by the New York Film, 
a third of the audience walked out. Following his death, Simon Jeffers, founder of the Penguin Cafe Orchestra, composed a piece entitled Cage Dead, using a melody based on the notes contained in the title. Other non-classical fans included Frank Zappa and Aphex Twin. He once said, I can't understand why people are frightened of new ideas. I'm frightened of the old ones. You got to pick a pocket or two. Elusivan Listele from the third act of Giacomo Puccini's opera Tosca, written in 1900. Avalon, written by Al Johnson, Buddy De Silva, and Vincent Rose in 1920. Puccini's publishers successfully sued Avalon's composers in 1921 and were awarded $25,000 plus all subsequent royalties. You got to pick a pocket or two. This week I spoke to a rival podcast, Choral Chihuahua, which is run by Harry Christophers, founder and conductor of The Sixteen. We were also joined by soprano Katie Hill, who shared a rather wonderful story about why she had trouble filming her contribution to The Sixteen's multi-tracked video of Shepard's Liberanos. I hope everyone is okay in lockdown, doing all right there. All right, yes, thank you. Yes, yes. We just want to get back performing and doing what we love doing. Yeah, it's a a real shame. Are there any jobs that you guys have been putting off that you've finally gotten around to? I've repainted a coffee table has been my big mission. I'm doing the garden, but, you know, I don't know what, nature's really taking over at the moment. We've had more bees in the garden than we've ever had. We were in a wood the other day and suddenly thought it was the motorway in the distance but looked up and there was just thousands and thousands of bees congregating oh, wow. Oh, wow. and then me last night in the garden there was our little dog was barking away and i was telling her to shut up and went out this morning and um there's there's a, a bee's nest in well there's a badger that's got into the dug up part of the front garden and uh, to get at the bees who, who are nesting there with their honey Oh, oh wow! Little drama here, you know. Yeah. That's amazing. <laughs> it is. There's a, a children's storybook in that, I think. Total bloody punish, <laughs> though. Absolutely, they make a f- absolute mess. One thing that you, is new that you guys have been getting up to is the Coral Chihuahua podcast, in which you're joined by Robert Hollingworth, founder of 
Ifagellini and Eamon Dugan, who sings with Ifagellini and is a singer and associate conductor for the 16, and you sort of chew through your choral experiences together. The first episode is out now, and I can testify it is a lovely listen. It's called Opening Bars and is available in all the usual places for podcasts. Much to everyone's delight, it's in between Graham Norton and Jesse Ware, which is pretty big news. I think the first question to ask is, where does the chihuahua in the title come from? <laughs> oh, Sam, I'm not allowed to tell you yet. <laughs> ah. We've got to listen to, I think, to... Uh, oh, it's going to... It might materialise in about episode four, I think. But it's, uh, it's very much related to... Um, uh, I'll, give you, I'll give you a little little teaser maybe it's related to genesis 16 which shows up which is our student project and it's something that mm-hmm. came out of a wonderful lady called mary king who did some workshops with us who does a workshop every year uh, with the, with, the, with the, that particular genesis cohort and it's all to do with uh, breathing and excitement in breathing oh fantastic so people were, there's a good incentive for listeners to stick with it for a few episodes they're right <laughs> yeah well we're a little bit more ron seal here with the classical music pod to get what you get what you're having the title was there a particular spur that made you think this is the way to be creative during lockdown well, actually, you know, funny enough, we'd, we'd been contemplating this uh, before lockdown and, uh, you know, just sort of hadn't actually got together the time to do it. But um, since lockdown happened, we got our heads together. And it's, it's a really nice idea because, I mean, Robert, you know, conductors don't really meet other conductors and don't get a chance to chat. And I think, I think Robert in the first episode mentioned that, uh, you know, only times we've talked is have a quick beer after a concert in, in in York when he's up there or something like that. So it was just nice to um, chew the cud and uh, vary all these episodes. So sometimes we'll have a guest appearing, other times we'll um, be talking about a piece of music, particular piece of music, and or just sort of talking about things that relate to us. So you know, forming a group. Um, how do we deal with uh, younger singers and 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 trying to get interest in classical music and, and indeed ensemble singing for you know for students and keep that interest going? I mean, it's been a, been a lot of fun and uh, of course Robert is a is a ball of electricity and of course and and knows and Eamon knows both of us very well. That's that's the nice link. Yeah, sort of the glue in the middle, isn't he? Yeah, absolutely. Now this might this is my failing, but I think it's because I've only seen you underscored by uh, gorgeous polyphonic music. I, in my head, assume that you must be retiring to you know a thatched cottage and that drinking mead and living a seventeenth century lifestyle. Are you a tech friendly person? Has it been easy to set up that side of things? Oh wow, Sam! I, I, I'm completely incompetent, and my kids just laugh at me a bit. But I do live in just on the North Downs in Kent. Uh, I don't drink mead. I remember tasting once; it was absolutely disgusting. <laughs> but I was born in a pub in the depths of Kent, and I still love my my beer, and I'm missing it terribly. <laughs> How has been fostering your remote rapport? Have you sort of warmed up into it? Do you think? Yeah, yeah. It's been it's been a it's been a learning curve. I think it has been for everybody. Suddenly put into this different environment, and actually, do you know, I'm 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 doing little films for the 16. One, one of them is called uh, 20, 20 Years of a Choral Pilgrimage, and I pick a piece from a choral pilgrimage, and my daughter and son-in-law, they, they film me, and we're getting, actually we're getting pretty good at that. Um, and, uh, but I think what, what's transpired, and certainly through a lot of the things we've put out, is just how wide our, and varied our audience is, and, and mm. people, you know, just, and that's, you know, we, we do concerts all over the place and particularly, you know, up, up and down the UK and we're, we're missing that a great deal and nothing can ever replace that. But when we see these people who tweet about us and they, they range from, you know, um, the latest video from 
Darren Brown to Stephen Fry to Luke Skywalker. I mean, that was that was pretty amazing the other day. That the, is great. Mark Hamill coming there. That was phenomenal. And it was really bizarre because the night before, we were watching the last half hour of The Empire Strikes Back and then suddenly <laughs> there was a tweet. It was really bizarre. <laughs> but so, yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting. Um, um, and it, and it's, it is a totally new world. I, I must say I don't feel particularly happy with it. Mm. Um, and I just want to get back what I love, doing what I love. Yeah, maybe it just sort of is a reminder that there are lots of people who, uh, consume is a horrible word, participate in music without necessarily ever coming to a concert. They might always have had a CD or a an online relationship with, you know, they may well have followed the 16 for a long time and, and now is the time when you're really getting in touch with them, perhaps. Yeah, and hopefully then when, when this all finishes, they will all start flooding to a concert to actually see that way. I think one, because one of the lovely things is, I suppose, is that, you know, with, with artists, be it, be it an orchestra, choirs, but big, big opera stars or whatever, you know, they, they sort of see us on stage and they think there's a part of people that think sort of we're untouchable, you know, we can't, we, we, we don't actually talk to people, but actually we do. And there's something about the 16 in particular. We're an incredibly sociable group um, and we love we loved getting into the communities and chatting to people from all over England and it's, gr- it's great. Mm. Sharing that human side is is obviously really so much easier to do when we're in person and in concert. But uh, I like very much in the first episode that you've revealed some of the, the tougher moments uh, or you know more human trials and tribulations. Robert talking about having someone cough during his final recital made me laugh out loud. And, you know, you talking about some, some really tough times of the 16, having to remortgage the house and put everything on the line. Was there more, was there a conscious decision to scratch beneath the veneer and, you know, get into the, the human side of it? Well, yes, I think so. But I think, well, that's, you know, just three friends chatting to each other. These things sort of come out. And, uh, you know, the, the lovely thing with that podcast is that, you know, we all, we all pose each other questions and then suddenly things reveal. And it's it's, you know... Having your own group is a really, it's great, but it, it is so challenging. I, I'm so pleased in a way I'm not having to start it now. Um, we've mm. had you know, so many bonuses that when I started the group, everything was really was incredibly cavalier and we were just doing things for fun. And, you know, the fee was a pint of beer and we, we you know, the joke is we don't, we don't actually know quite who paid for it. Um, <laughs> around. But, uh, and you know, now it's, it's, it's a lot it's a lot more serious, you know. We have to be very good at what we do as singers, and, and, and you know, 10, 12 years ago, singers would be having a drink at lunchtime and, and having a nice lunch. Nowadays, um, you know, nothing like that at all, mm. uh, which is great. I mean, I'm not, I'm not wanting to go back to the old <laughs> days, but uh, it is, it is, it is very different today, and um, and you know, it's the classic thing you're only as good as your last concert. Mm. There's been a, a very nice regular diet of online 16 content for fans of the group to enjoy. I particularly enjoyed Eddie McMullen singing and playing the bongo at the same time. <laughs> yes. What was it that made you want to release a video of Shepard's Libranos? Well, we talked a lot about, you know, doing something virtually. And you, you, there was the, there's the wonderful Rotterdam Phil one that came out very early on. Joy is brilliantly done. And then there was a big, quick succession of lots and lots of things. And you think, actually, for most people, when lockdown finishes, those films are the, what they're going to, those are the first things they want to get off YouTube. So I thought, right, we're going to do something. And I mean, luckily, you know, Katie's husband, Chris, is a 
not only is an amazing bass player and musician, but he's also a phenomenal sound engineer. Mm. So we got talking and, and, you know, but I wanted to do something that was absolutely trademark the 16, unmistakably us, you know, Liberano, 16th century music, not a piece of, you know, I wasn't going to be doing a piece of music that, you know, wasn't, you know, in our repertoire, you know, somebody said, well, well let's do a wonderful close harmony thing. Well, we don't do that. Let's do something that's a 16 and, and show it in, in lockdown. And, uh, Oh, I mean, I couldn't, the, the result is just staggering. I couldn't have written that script. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's very beautiful. I'm going to bring in Katie here, who's been waiting very patiently. Thank you, Katie. Uh, who's Hello. singing soprano on the video. And I am, yeah. you're probably best placed to explain to us how it went from featuring the 16 to the 17. Uh-huh. Well, um, well we, got, we, got our, um, we got our email with our directions and how, what we needed to do through late on the Tuesday night, I think. And on the Wednesday morning, you know, we had a deadline for the Friday and the kind of inclination I have is usually to leave things to the last minute and then do them. But I woke up on Wednesday morning pretty sure that I was going to be having a baby that day. So uh, got got a move on. So um, went downstairs, put my scar on and some blusher because I'm really vain and uh, set up the video pretty quick, got my coffee and sang through my shepherd two or three times um, whilst definitely having early um, stage contractions, which was really um really interesting actually trying to wow. do all your support with your tummy muscles while your tummy is very busy doing something else as well yeah, um but fortunately it's a piece i know well um and uh so the fact that half my brain was maybe elsewhere didn't didn't matter too much and actually it focused the mind if anything because i knew i had a limited number of takes <laughs> uh, yeah. but i'm afraid i didn't get around to doing my second video which was going to be in the bath and then uh, I could give that idea to Mark, who did it with a plum and an amazing bath hat. So I'm glad about that. And then, yeah, went away, had lunch, and then had a baby. And then... Uh, casual, <laughs> casual as you like. Casual. <laughs> yeah, we had a baby at home, so as well, it was very nice and relaxed. Yeah, I think did our video a few days later when I was holding the baby, which was really nice. But yeah, it, it was it was that quick and that that funny, and so that video will always hold something really special for me. <laughs> Very much a, an eventful day. You know, would you recommend it as a if people early stages of labour something? Absolutely, to take singing excellent idea. It uh, relaxes you. All the things we're supposed to do, you know, breathing mm. deeply, nice and happy place. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> have a sing of shepherd and the word <laughs> Libra knows deliver absolutely. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> absolutely channeling john shepherd and he was helping me somewhere <laughs> oh brilliant and uh hopefully it's not baby chihuahua it's not baby chihuahua it's not baby john shepherd either it's a okay. girl <laughs> oh well i'm having to you know help with her her drug habit she's on infocol every day but obviously early stardom is getting to her and i need to <laughs> need to watch that <laughs> it's amazing isn't it listen listening to listening to shepherd libra knows while in the womb and then the first thing she hears outside the womb Absolutely. Again. On loop. It's on loop. Yeah. Chris was bringing home all his edits and playing them to in, us in the kitchen. And, uh, you know, yeah, she's, it's best definitely been the light motive for her first she's competition. Kind of a, yeah, a disproportionate view of the role that that piece plays in the world. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Everywhere I go, 50% of the time, Shepard's playing. Everyone, will, people will be singing at me. <laughs> very lovely beautiful music yeah, <laughs> yeah. oh well um one thing for maybe both of you guys to think about is what the the future might look like when we're all coming back obviously no one's got any firm ideas yet but one thing that gave me a little bit of hope uh from the first episode of crawl trial was to hear that 
almost everything has changed from the beginning anyway. The last remaining founding member, Sally, has retired and sort of every plank of the ship Theseus' ship has been replaced along the way now, and yet still the 16 has kept that identity and has kept that sense of mission. Do you think that, do you have any ideas where you'll take that next? Yeah, we know. We've got to think of new ways to, you know, just it, you know, depending on how long this happens and what happens with, um, you know, social distancing in, you know, concert halls and things, we're going to have to rethink pro, you know, things. It may be that, you know, the, the bigger concert halls that we'll be able to do things there because actually, we can distance ourselves well on the stage and come up with something slightly different. I think we just we just got to be constantly inventive. But I think with the sixteen, the main thing is that we we just never lose sight of what what we what we're good at and what we're there for, and and uh, you know not doing things just for the sake of uh, sake of doing them. Mm. Yeah, and Katie, I suppose there are a few more possibilities if you're operating as a, a soloist or as a recitalist, those things might might be back a little bit sooner? I suppose so. I think um, uh, it's not just us travelling around and things like that. It's, of course, the audience. And so it's it's whether venues will be able to think of a way um, before this is all completely passed, whether there'll be a way for people to have concerts where outside concerts over the summer, perhaps, or uh, mm. things in, in, in different kind of venues, um, that lend themselves to social distancing. I don't know. I mean, who knows? But um, certainly, there've been lots of online things. But it's not—it's not the same um, as as we all know. It's it's good. It's interesting, but it's not the same. So, yeah, we as Harry says, we'll just have to keep evolving and keep uh, event, inventing things and uh, keep energy. Yeah. The creative chaps I've I've got for yeah. you'll be a, you'll yeah. come up with something. <laughs> I'm sure we will. Our audiences want to come to concerts again too. So I mean, there's uh, there's a collective drive towards finding the the solutions, aren't there? Yeah, Hopefully. absolutely. For those of you looking to keep children occupied with a bit of culture, a couple of things have come up. Fever, first of all, which is an interactive virtual opera for 8 to 12 year olds uh, run by Scottish Opera. It's available up until the 15th of June and includes creative writing and science tasks and teaching guides to help learn five songs that culminate in a nationwide virtual performance. How much fun is that? A lot of fun. I hope so. Chichester Festival Youth Theatre are also streaming a new adaptation of Beauty and the Beast called The Butterfly Lion, which I thought was a Michael Morpogo book, but it must be something else. It's suitable for children aged seven plus and is available until the 19th of June. There are links in the description below. Mm. Our pick of online classical content this week is Opera Holland Park's upcoming stream of Verdi's Un Bal in Mascara. Is that correct pronunciation, Sam? Uh, Unbalan Mascara. Ah, that'll do. Which will be up on their website and YouTube channel on the 2nd of June at 7.30. There are also some anniversaries to watch out for. On Friday the 29th, we celebrate the birthdays of Eric Korngold and superstar Greek composer and part-time architect Yanis Zanakis, as well as the last person to interview Prince Charles about classical music, Baron Michael Barclay. 
It's also the anniversary of the riotous premiere of The Rite of Spring. Mm. May the 30th is the birthday of deep listening pioneer Pauline Oliveros. There's a brilliant episode of Radio 3's listening service still available on BBC Sounds, which explores her life and the deep listening institute that she set up. She's also a friend of John Cage, so definitely check that out. Well worth checking out. June birthdays include Mikhail Glinka on the 1st, Edward Elgar on the 2nd, Louis Andreessens on the 6th, Robert Schumann on the 8th, and Cole Porter on the 9th. The 9th he shares with Natalie Portman, good, and Johnny Depp. Hmm, that's good. Give me all in my lamp, keep me burning. I agree with Nick. Give me all in my lamp, I pray. I agree with Gordon. I agree with every single word. You must have a consensus. Upcoming stream of their twenty-nine ah of their twenty-nine pre of their twenty nineteen production of Verdi's Unbal in Mashera, which will be up on their webs. Ugh, I'm gonna start that again. Do do you not have one of these uh, teleprompters? No, not here. You don't. Mm. 